Hey, everybody. Good morning. Good morning. All right. Let's serve the Lord with you. We're going to continue through this great book. I'm sure the Lord appreciates my affirmation of his great book, <laughs> Matthew, <laughs> just in case he needs it. Matthew chapter 1, we're going to be in verses 18 through 25 today. Matthew 1, 18 through 25. A little passage here. Matthew 1, 18 through 25. Uh, does anybody have a story that they're willing to share to the, to the room and the world wide web <laughs> um, with regard to how you got your name or how you named your children? I'm curious. My dad has a very unusual name. His name is Nevin. And for some reason, uh, my mom and dad thought that it'd be nice if I were Kevin. And so Rhonda and I wanted to continue the tradition, so we went with Trevin for our first son. And so, and then he named his son Timothy. <laughs> <laughs> Whom we love dearly. <laughs> Timothy, it's not your fault. <laughs> That's so amazing. That's great. So it was a it was all about the the way the name rolled off the tongue. It was ending in O N or I N or something like that. Okay, very good. Along with Weston and Justin and Tiffany. <laughs> See, you started it. Actually, you Trevin can look to that as a case as an option. Very good. Anybody else? That's so. It's, it's, we're going with sound. Yes, Bethany. Man of prayer, okay. So it has a meaning behind it. Yeah, and then one of the Okay. Gotcha. Elias, I chose him. The Lord is my God. Excellent. Okay, very good. So there's a, a biblical or <laughs> Where to next? That's the question. I'll let Daniel ask you to that question. Very good. Very good. Hank Williams, no less. <laughs> I actually had written down here, point to Ralph to tell the Hank story if nobody speaks up. It's right here. I knew that because I knew that story for for <laughs> until he went to school, then all of a sudden he was Michael. So, yeah. very, very good. So um, the the the, uh, the the funniest one. I told this story last week because we were talking about people's names in our Sunday school lesson. But we we went to the beach this past May, and Luke was of course making himself known to everybody on the beach, and uh, got to know the, our neighbors really well through the through the week, or you know pretty well, especially as a five year old could, six year old could. Um, and one of the one of the guys names next to us was Harley, and his he was named Harley because his dad's name is David, and so he was Harley David's son. <laughs> true story. True 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 story. So lot, lots behind a name. Either there's a story behind the name or the, a meaning behind the name. And as we get into Matthew's gospel, there's a there's a place where Matthew, here in the text, documents the events surrounding Jesus' birth. And one of the questions that you, would, you might have is, well, how did Jesus get his name? Or why did Jesus get the name that he 
God, which is the text we're going to, to look at today. So let's look at Matthew 1. Y'all stand with me. Let's read together 1, 18 through 25. This is a passage about, predominantly about how and the why of Jesus' name. The birth of Jesus came about this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. So her husband, Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. But after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus." because he will save his people from their sins. Now, all this took place, says Matthew, to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the Lord's angel had commanded him. He married her, but he did not have sexual relationships with her, until she gave birth to a son, and he named him Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, you may be seated. So, um, <laughs> before we like dive into the to the message, um, I just I want to acknowledge the obvious that this passage is just loaded with controversy and weirdness um, and and theology and and and. And it's just loaded, right? I can't, there are allusions to the Trinity. There's a, there's a pregnancy you can't biologically explain. There are angels speaking in dreams. Um, it's just, it's got a lot. And we're not going to be able to get to all the drama, okay, that's inside this, this passage. But the real drama is in verse 21. She will give birth to a son and you are to name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And then there's the affirmation in verse 25 that Joseph did what he was told. She gave birth to a son, and he named him Jesus. So the real drama here is in the name. Now, if you want to understand why there's so much drama in the name here, we need to understand something about the way that naming worked in the Jewish culture and in biblical culture. Because if we, if we can understand that, we can understand why. It's why I asked you to think about why you named what you're named, whether you're driving up the East Coast of the United States or you're Irish or you just like the way I-N or O-N sounds at the end of your word name. So like, there's, a, there's a method behind the madness of Jewish naming. And if we can understand that, we can understand what's going on with Jesus' name. So... When you're naming somebody in the Bible, the, the, the assumption was that the person's name would express the essence of who they would be. So that if you knew a person's name, you would know at the core everything you needed to know about that person. So it's like um, when uh, we, we were at work uh, seven, eight years ago when we had a personality test. Everybody in the entire organization took a personality test. And we all had colors assigned to our personality. A red meant one thing, a blue, a yellow, and a green, right? A red meant be quick, 
be good, and be gone. That's how you should communicate with a red. And a blue would be, tell me the details. And a yellow would be, just involve me. Would you please just involve me? Like a golden retriever, right? Like that, that kind of thing, and so on. And in Hebrew, that's what it is with regard to a name. If you had a person's name, you knew everything about their character, everything you needed to know about their nature, or maybe about their destiny. And, and there's almost, with a person's name, there's almost always a story behind that name. Like, it, the name might not only tell you something about their nature and about their character, it would tell you something about how they got that name, right? So if you go to, like, Rachel in Genesis 35, she... Um, called her. She died in childbirth, right? And she named her son Benoni. Benoni means son of my sorrow. So imagine 30 years later, you meet somebody, and you say, hey, what's your name? And he says, my name is Benoni, son of my sorrow. And you would immediately assume that there are some circumstances behind his birth that caused his mother great grief. And it would be challenging. And you would begin to, you know, apply all the possibilities of what that might mean to who they are as a person. Jacob, his name means supplanter. If you'd met Jacob when he was Jacob, and he's the supplanter, tells you something about his potential character. And he was named that in part because of the activity. So he was grabbing on to Esau's heel as he came out of the womb, which is to say he's going to try and take Esau's place. He's going to try and supplant him. So it, you know, there's a birth story, there's a character, and there's destiny all wrapped up into just his name, right? And other times, people would name their, their kids just after some physical characteristic, right? So Esau means hairy, right? Unusually hairy for a Jewish guy, I guess, you know? Like you're thinking about that guy in the hot tub right now, aren't you? Uh, yeah, don't. Sorry, I didn't mean to do that. Korea means bald, like it's unusual for a Jewish baby to be born bald, apparently. So they named him Korea. Interesting name. That's in 2 Kings. Sometimes Jewish people would name their children after um, something in nature. So Deborah means bee, which implies something also, not just about where they live, but also something maybe about her personality, her work ethic. Jonah, who we just studied, means dove. Rachel means you, as in a baby lamb. Tamar means palm tree. Susanna means lily. On and on and on and on. Who is it that named your child? Was it, was it dad? Was just dad was in charge of naming? Is that the way it worked? Okay. Anybody where mom was in charge? Uh, was it a collaborative experience in which one of you ultimately had to submit? That's okay. Okay. In the Bible, that task typically fell to the mother. Did you know that? The father would do it sometimes, but typically the task would fall to the mother. And in some very unusual cases, you would have non-parental figures name, uh, name a child. So Pharaoh, Pharaoh's daughter names Moses, right, because of the circumstances there. Ruth married Boaz, and her son that she gave birth to was Obed. Do you remember who named him? The women of the village. Not Ruth, not Boaz. Isn't that interesting? Um, there are people in the Bible who have their name changed by God himself, right? Abram has his name changed to Abraham. Jacob has his name changed to Israel. Saul has his name changed to Paul. I'm kidding. That's not a name change. That's not, that's, do people think that? It's not. Saul is Latin. Paul is uh, Greek. So Paul did not have his name changed. But, there's, but there are some in the Old Testament where that happens. There are a few people who have their name given to them by God himself. Adam, obviously. Isaac, 
Ishmael, the son, child is named by the father, named by God himself. For the prophet Isaiah had three children named by God, which is a whole other sermon series in and of itself, maybe one day. John the Baptist, and then, of course, Jesus. These are the people in the Bible who have their name given to them by God. If you take all this information, what you, what you begin to understand about names in the Bible is that the name is a person's identity and it is their purpose. It defines who they are and it defines what they're supposed to be about. Your name in the Bible, for the most part, answered the life's biggest questions about you. Who are you and what do you do? So it begs the question, who is your final authority? Who is the one or the thing or the standard to which ultimately you defer in making life's decisions? Because in the Bible, you would just look at your name. You'd say, I was named this, therefore I am this and I'm going to do this. What is your bottom line? What are you here to do? What is your highest priority? In the Bible, you look at the name. So with all that in mind, when we come to Matthew 1, 18 through 25, for all the miracles that are taking place in this text, right, the real drama is in the name. Verse 21, she will give birth to a son and you are to name him Jesus. Which means he will save his people from their sins. And so Joseph, obedient to an angel in a dream, names his son Jesus. And we compare this passage with Luke 1 where the angel visits Mary and Gabriel also tells her that she's to name him Jesus what we see in both of these passages is neither the mother nor the father get to name Jesus. No one is allowed to name Jesus. When you get to name someone, you are inherently implying that you are the steward over this person's life. No one gets to name Jesus. Only God gets to name the response, God takes away the right from Joseph, takes away the responsibility from Mary to name Jesus because God is going to own the naming. God is the one who is going to determine the identity and the purpose of his son. Mothers and fathers would normally give this responsibility. Um, when, when you got to name somebody, you, 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 you were in, inherently applying, like I said, that you were the steward of that name. So, for example, think back to Genesis 1 where Adam gets to name the animals. It's not just that God was tired and just thought, oh, this will be cool. We'll see what he comes up with, right? It's an implication of stewardship. It's an implication of care. It's an implication of love. It's an implication of relationship. I want you to care for them, Adam. I want you to steward them. I want you to give them a name. So it's normal for parents to name their children because they were ultimately for a few years anyway right, responsible for the care and nurturing of this child. And here in Matthew 1, God shows up to both the father and the mother in, in Luke in that account and he says to them, I'm going to name my 
son because I'm the one who's responsible for his identity and his purpose. See, the minute Jesus was born, Tim Keller puts it this way. He says, the minute Jesus was born, he was already older than his parents. Right? God's not going to let Joseph or Mary name the child because Mary and Joseph are not allowed to believe that they are primarily responsible for Jesus' identity or his purpose. Mary and Joseph are not the child's true stewards because he's not just another human being. He is he's going to be. He's the king of kings, right? He's, he's the Lord of lords. No one can have authority on earth over him. No one can steward him. No one can lead him. No one can name him. His identity comes from the Father. It's interesting. You see this in Luke, um, at the very end of Luke chapter 2, right? So he's 12 years old at this point, and there's this traveling party that goes into Jerusalem for worship, and they're leaving as a traveling party. And Mary and Joseph have no idea where Jesus is, but they assume because they're in a traveling party about this size that he's somewhere along the line of people, but he's not. And they come to camp at the end of the day and they can't find him. And they have to go back to Jerusalem and get him. And what does Jesus say? He says, wasn't with you. I was with my father. Who is he with? The person who gave him his identity and his purpose. You are not my mother and my father. I was with my father. It's the name. So this name tells us a lot about Jesus. But the name that God, him, God himself gives Jesus tells us even more. The fact that God gave him a name tells us a lot. But the name that he gave him tells us even more. It's verse 21. She will give birth to a son and you're to name him Jesus because, which is what it means, he will save his people from their sin. Now, there are a lot of names in the Bible for Jesus. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. But the one name that God is very jealous to put right into His name is this word, Jesus. It means Savior. It means Rescuer. It's the one to save us from our sin. By the way, did you know that Yeshua, that the word, is not a purely Hebrew word? It's a it's a Greek eyes. It's a Hellenized Greek version of a Hebrew word. His name was Joshua, and Yeshua breaks down into, yes, the Lord saves. So right even embedded into the very name is this implication that Jesus wasn't just for the Jews. He was for the Gentiles. It's in his ancestry, right? We saw that, and now it's, in, it's embedded in his name. It's a Hellenized Hebrew name. us all... And it tells us his identity, and it tells us his purpose, which is to save us all from our sins. Which tells us a lot about our identity and our purpose. So I want to apply this, and I want to talk about your identity, and I want to talk about your purpose. If Jesus' identity is what he was named to be, and if Jesus accomplished the purchase for which he was named to accomplish, then I would submit to you, because the Bible does, that we who put our faith in him find our identity and purpose in him. I don't find it in my name, as grateful as I am for it. I find it in his name. Everybody wants an identity. I'm not trying to give you anxiety and flash you back to high school okay, or college. But we all want an identity. We want to know who we are. We want to have that same sense of self 
that Jesus had. You read, you read through that. We're going to go all the way through Matthew. Jesus never wonders who he is or what his purpose is. He's got it. We want that. And the Bible teaches us that whoever names you is your authority. Whoever names you is the one to whom you belong. It, it establishes who is, well, whose am I? Not who do I want to be, but whose am I? And to be honest about that question, if we want to know who we are, you and I have to ask the question, whose am I? What am I, who am I giving myself to? What am I giving myself to in order to establish an identity or a purpose and a purpose? And when you just boil it down to the very bottom, to the only thing that could be left in the pan, what you find is that you either belong to God, who is the one who names you, or you belong to anything else that you're willing to give yourself to to have an identity and a purpose. Turn your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I want to show you this. Because you, this is exactly what Paul is getting down to in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15. I can hear the taps on your phone screen. Not the pain turning of pages. I hear the taps. Well, glory in the taps. 2 Corinthians 5, 15. Listen to what Paul is saying to the Corinthians. Talk about a church looking for an identity. Paul says, He died for all so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised. You see, you see identity and purpose, right? From now on then, we do not know anyone from a worldly perspective, which opens up a whole other can of worms about your identity and your purpose also determines your relationship to those who don't know their identity and purpose. Even if we have known Christ from a worldly perspective, yet now, says Paul, we no longer know him in this way. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. That's what he's getting at. Identity and purpose. To become a Christian is to be given a new name, and thus I knew that to become a Christian is to be given this new name and this new identity and become this new creation. That's what it means. But it's not just who you are, it's what you do. Your identity as a follower of Jesus drives your priorities. It drives your commitments. You're a Christian, so we expect certain things to be, as soon as we hear it, right? You expect certain things to be tied to that identity. Okay? Um, a Friday at work, there was a... Thanks to the... Um, continuing struggles of supply chain and labor shortages. I don't know if you've ever heard that phrase in the news in the last six years, it seems like. But we continue to struggle with that at work from time to time because we buy paper from China just like everybody else does. You know, and it's just hard to get everything lined up. And uh, so there was a last minute, like, we're going to have some shipping delays. Shocking, I know. But there are going to be some of that. And uh, one of the people that wrote, um, that worked on some of the in internal and external communication of that was an Ole Miss graduate. So it shocked me that, that she was capable of putting together a really good email because she was an Ole Miss graduate. I'm being funny. I hope you understand. I'm being funny. Because I'm a Mississippi State guy, and Mississippi State people look, uh, just assume certain behaviors out of Ole Miss people. And Ole Miss people just assume certain behaviors out of Mississippi. You see what I'm getting at? Like, we just, we, once we have somebody locked into a certain identity, 
we expect certain behaviors associated with it. Well, you know, to an extent, I'm, we're, but when it comes to being a Christian, this is genuine. This is real. We, to be a follower of Christ implies certain, not just behavior, but certain purpose. It's our, it's our, it's our uh, true north. It's the thing that pulls our, our compass needle and tells us which way to walk and how to walk and why to walk that way. The great irony of the Christian life. Um, well, let me, let, me, let me go back this way. Sorry. It means to be the same. It means to be of one, to be whole. So if you are in your identity, if you are living for your own happiness, if you are living for your own comfort, then you'll never really know who you are because with one crowd, you'll have to be one way. And with another crowd, you'll have to be another way in order to make it all accommodate you. And with another crowd, you'll have to be uh, another way. And with the business crowd, you'll be another way. And so on, all the way it goes down the line. You, can't, you won't have an identity. You won't be the same everywhere that you go. Living out our purpose that is consistent with our identity is the thing that gives us assurance as Christians that we are whom we've named to be. So if God is the one who names us, if God is the one to whom we belong, then it's God is the one for whom we live, then we'll know who we are. How can you know who you are who you are? Because my purpose lines up with my identity. My stated identity lines up with my stated purpose. There's less and less, as I grow in the Lord, there's less and less... um, confusion about identity and purpose in my life because Jesus is becoming all the more beautiful to me as I go. So he's our identity and he's our purpose. He's our identity and he is our purpose. He names us in Christ by grace through faith. So in about a year, we're going to get to Matthew 11. (laughs) And Jesus is going to look at his disciples And he's going to say to them, specifically maybe even, not just to Peter, but to the rest of the disciples, he's going to say in Matthew 11, 25, whoever wants to save his life, save his life, will lose it. But whoever loses his life, because of me, will find it. Whoever wants to save identity purpose, identity purpose, Whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will find it. The great irony of the Christian life is that human beings need something higher than themselves to live for in order to become themselves. That's what Jesus is saying here. We need something higher than ourselves to live for in order to become our true selves. Put that in your Enneagram pipe and smoke it. Okay? It's all good, understanding what you are and why you're that way. Don't go down that rabbit hole. Okay? We can never have that sense of self that Jesus Christ had if we don't give up finding ourselves in all the other places and instead just follow him. You want to know who you are and what your purpose is for? Follow the one who made you. I almost went to Colossians 1 today in my sermon, but we don't have to because it was in our confession. Well done, liturgy. Yes. 
So we need to leave here today as people who are no longer trying to name ourselves through the roles we play, the money we don't have, the gifts we give or get. That is not going to be your source of identity. It's going to be completely draining and frustrating and you're just going to hit a dead end and a dead end and a dead end and a dead end. You need to trust in Jesus. Jesus alone has satisfied all the requirements that make us acceptable before God. And that's the identity that matters. And if you will believe and trust in who He is and what He's done, then you get adopted into His family and you get God's family name and you get all the identity and all the purpose that you were made to have all along. The Father is the one who got to name Jesus. He gave him his identity and his purpose. And what is true for him can be true for us, for those who believe. And I pray that you will. Let's pray, let's pray together. Father, we are, we are grateful that you sent your son and that with authority you owned his identity and you owned his purpose. All the Trinity stuff that's wrapped up this is incredible. We don't want to get lost in that. We just want to marvel at the fact that that. What is um, that in his identity and his purpose, coming to save our sins, we who believe in him have a new identity and a new purpose for which we have long been made. And so I pray that we would be a people who find our identity and our purpose in the person of Jesus Christ, who by grace through faith are adopted into his family and get the family name and all the rights and privileges that are included therein, and that we have all the identity and the purpose associated with who we are and what we do. This is our prayer, Lord. And we, as we respond in song congregations, the time, of, the time of reflection, the time of response is just that. It's a time to confess belief. And if Kevin or Ken can be of assistance to you in talking that through and praying with you, just come during the song. Okay? We ask it, Lord, do these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.